Hello and welcome to a very special Contemplations and today I'm going to be showing you how to make six iconic cocktails from my years of experience working as a bartender, a cocktail bartender in particular, um, whilst I was at university. And uh, I did this mainly to pay my way through. It wasn't exactly a passion, but I did get very good at it and I've got a few tricks to show you even if you're relatively seasoned because I've worked in all sorts of different environments, be it um, nightclubs or fancy um, silver service restaurants. I've done it all. And uh, hopefully this is a good bit of fun um, in preparation for um, New Year's Eve, which this should be going out shortly before, I believe. And uh, yes, I'm going to, I suppose, start with the equipment that I've got. So first and foremost is the Boston tin. So these are um, obviously very, very important. And as many of you may already know, this is where you're going to be shaking your cocktails. And there are a couple of different kinds of Boston tin. There's one that comes with a built-in strainer, which I'm not so much a fan of. Um, they're just a bit cumbersome. And uh, I'll be getting onto a strainer later on, which is a bit more versatile. And um, you also get ones where the, the smaller one is made of glass. And I don't really like these as much because, for one, if you're working in a busy bar environment, which I suppose you're not going to be uh, likelihood earlier, you're probably not going to be, um, most likely even, um, then you're going to be chilling down this and then heating it up very quickly by washing it out in a sink. And so by, by making it very cold and very hot repeatedly, and it's the thing made of glass, you can imagine that sometimes they break. I've had one break on me before, and because they're quite thick glass, they can cut your hands. So I like them being like this. And also they're of equal weight, so it's easier to move them around. I mean closer to equal weight. They're obviously they're not equal, they're different sizes, but get off my back, all right? So they're also well balanced, which is part of the charm. So if I were put to put them together and you know pretend to shake them without anything in, it doesn't feel um, out of balance in my hand, whereas sometimes it can with a glass one because it's much heavier than I, what I presume to be aluminium. So I like having them both the same. You don't have to do that. If you're at home and you've got a glass one and you'd like to see what's going on, in your shaker, then that's fine. But if you know what you're doing, you don't really need to see. It's, it's like being a really good chemist and you've done this process lots and lots of times. You know what's going to happen. You don't need to observe it. So the next thing is obviously a spoon. And this is a bar spoon in particular. And uh, you may notice two things about it, or three things really. It's very twisty. Um, that's important. It's got a flat bottom at the end, which um, it's basically for um, if you have something like champagne and you're making a champagne-based cocktail, rather than pouring the champagne straight into the, the champagne flute, you pour it down this spout and it, it clings to here and then dissipates here. So imagine this was a champagne flute. I know it's not. Um, you pour the champagne into here um, when it's on the ground. You hold it in one hand. You have the spoon in the other. It goes down the shaft and then as it hits this flat bottom there, it dissipates without bursting too many of the bubbles. And that's always very useful. And uh, the main purpose of this, and the main thing you'll be doing, is stirring, as you can probably imagine. Um, but they're also very useful as well. Um, if you're making a fruit twist, to make a sort of flat thing of fruit peel, you twist it round, and then that allows you to have a nice... Uh, shape to make that twist without having to manually faff about with it. You just wrap it round the spoon. So 
Next is the fine strainer, which you put over the top of the, the big Boston tin and you pour it out um, so that you get the liquid without any of the old ice. And the, the whole purpose of doing the straining in the first place is so that you get fresh ice in the drink. So you shake with different ice than you pour. And this is to prevent um, any dilution of your drink. Some drinks, it's less important because dilution actually helps it. Some are designed to dilute as time goes on. And I think some of them can certainly be improved by being a bit weaker, particularly the alcohol-heavy ones. But it very much depends on your taste. I think the one thing that I really want to hammer home here is that there isn't necessarily a correct way of doing things. There is the sort of done way in bartending. But it's, it's similar to sort of music in a way, in that the more you learn, the more you find that actually the best um, is, is sort of contained within the exceptions to the rules. And there are a few cocktails that I make um, that I'm not talking about today where I might take a different method than is conventionally taught in some of the, the top institutions. But it just means that I've made it lots. I know how to make it to my taste. And that's what it's all about. If it, if it tastes good, then it works. That's my motto anyway. I think that people can get a little bit too pretentious about it. And just like, oh, you've got to make it this way or that way. And sometimes, actually there's a lot more hassle than it's worth and you, you can't really tell the difference or sometimes it'll actually be better to do something unconventional. So telling you all these rules, but it's not necessarily always that important to follow them. Also, um, you may have seen these in bars on top of bottles. It's just a pourer. I'm going to be putting this on bottles just because it's easier to measure something without spilling. You may notice I'm in the main studio and I don't want to uh, be the person who <laughs> gets alcohol all over the uh, monitors underneath this table. Um, because I'm spilling everything and making a mess. So I'm definitely going to be careful with these. They're not really so important if you're pouring at home on a worktop where it doesn't really matter, but it's good not to waste stuff. And if you're in, say, an actual bar environment, not using these makes a massive difference because of all the wastage that accumulates. So if you're saving money, they're always useful. You can just take it off the top, put it on another. Very easy. Um, and finally, um, well, penultimately actually, we have our pouring jigger. Um, got to be careful how you say this in a crowded bar environment. I've had it before where I said to one of my colleagues, oh, have you seen any of the jiggers? And uh, uh, an, an urban gentleman thought I said a different word. and it, it was very awkward. And I said, oh, no, no, I was, I was on about these. And uh, he was like, oh, okay. Uh, so yes, not a good word to say in a loud room, but um, these are obviously for pouring. Um, I actually prefer the kind you get in bars more often where you've got your 25 mil and your 50 mil. And they also have a, I think it's a five milliliter on the bottom so that you can do the finer den denominations. But this one I've got with the, uh, the cocktail set I brought from home um, has a 50 milliliter and a 25 milliliter, um, which I think if you want it in imperial measures, um, 25 mil is three um, quarters. Uh, fluid ounces and 50 mil is uh, one and a half fluid ounces. But I'm going to be talking in milliliters because um, in Britain, at least, even though we have lots of imperial measures, um, we like to uh, do everything to European standard when it comes to drink measures. And that's how I've been taught. And it'd be very difficult for me to unlearn. So I'm going to be talking like that. And, you know, as long as you've got the measures in mind, you'll be able to translate. But again, it's another thing 
how strong or weak you want your cocktail is your preference. You can make it to the book once you know the method and then sort of work your way towards what you prefer. So you can put less alcohol in, put more in, it, you know, it's up to you. So finally, we have a muddler. Um, I'm not going to be using this, but this is basically used to crush up things like fruit to make, um, believe it or not, fruit juice. Um, it can also be used to crush ice, although it's a bit difficult and I'm not going to bother with that because going to the, the trouble of making crushed ice for your cocktails, unless you've got a machine that does it for you, is not really worth it. I actually prefer cubed ice in almost all instances because crushed ice just melts too quickly. And even though you know I drink my drinks relatively quickly compared to most people, you can you can taste the dilution a lot more in the crushed ice. So if you want something to be um, watery quite quickly, it might be the way to go. But more often than not, just add water to it and add crushed ice if if that's really what you're going for. It's, it's not that difficult. Just you know add a teaspoon, you know maybe a shot glass worth of, of water in there. Um, depending on the cocktail, of course, and it should be fine. So now on to the glassware. And this can be considered by some to be quite important, but I'm sort of a, a bit more laissez-faire about it. As long as the glasses somewhat resemble one another, it kind of works. It, as long as it tastes the same, I don't really mind. So I'm not going to be one of those snobs who's just like, oh, you've got, you've got a, uh, I don't know, Negroni in a highball glass. How terrible. As long as it tastes the same, as long as it's what you want, who cares? That's what I say. But I'm going to walk through them anyway, just so you know roughly what's what. And this sort of graphic here that I found online has got a lot more than you need to know. Um, basically, you need to know a sort of set number of types, but you can get by with three or four different types of glass and it's fine. So you've got your highball zombie and Collins glasses. They're all sort of tall glasses, a bit like this one here. These are these are Collins glasses, uh, crystal ones, but you can make pretty much any cocktail. The only difference is the actual fluid ounces that can fit in there. It, it depends very much on you know if you're trying to make them to industry standard or not, which doesn't really matter if you're making them for fun. So don't worry about it. Obviously, you've got your different kinds of pint glasses. We're not talking about those today. Um, most people are pretty familiar with them. You've got an old-fashioned glass, which is uh, like this one. So it's sort of a heavy um, glass bottom there and very flat. This is a, a Lotus Eaters one as well. So you've got that. There's also a rocks glass, which is, you know, as you can guess, it's uh, just a glass which you drink spirits on the rocks with ice. Uh, but, you know, you could just call it a tumbler glass, um, which is similar to it anyway. That's what I used to do, just call them little tumbler glasses because either or really as to which you drink spirits out of. Then you have, uh, you know, some people have a cosmopolitan specific glass. I think it can go in a martini glass just as well. Same with the margarita. In fact, I'm going to be making the margaritas with um, martini glasses because it doesn't really matter. They're basically the same thing. Um, hurricane glass is a good one for a, a pina colada and cocktails like that. Quite often tropical glasses. Um, then it goes through all of the wine glasses that no one really cares about. Um, most of the time, if you're buying the spirit, you know which glass goes with it. Um, obviously, you've got the, the coupe, which is a sort of similar thing to the martini glass. Uh, you can quite, I, I found that that was much better at making sort of iced cocktails that had been sort of crushed ice that had been blended, almost like a, uh, what's the word? 
got brain freeze, ironically. No. Um, what's it called? Like a slushy, right? You know, that, that glass lends itself quite well to a sort of martini-style cocktail that is a slushy because of the, the curved edges. So that works relatively well. But it goes into lots of other glasses, like the cure and shot and all, all that stuff and a, a snifter. We don't need to know any of this stuff. You know, basic stuff here. Um, but I wanted to walk through it just to go and, and basically make the point that this, all of these glasses, you know, it's not a religion. You don't have to get every single one perfectly right, depending on the cocktail. No one cares. As long as it's roughly right and you're not making, you know, massive vats of martinis or um, tiny quantities of tequila sunrise, then you'll be fine. So the first cocktail we're going to be making is probably one of the most famous um, but least drunk cocktails going, and that is the Vesper Martini, as outlined by Ian Fleming, who, uh, of course, wrote the uh, James Bond series. And uh, he came up with it himself, I believe. Um, the direct quote is, three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half measure of Kina Lille, Shake it very well until it's ice cold and then add a large thin slice of lemon peel. Got it? Um, that's in chapter seven of Casino Royale, um, which of course was made into a film, which many of you have probably seen, including myself. I think the first thing to introduce is the gin, because Gordon's gin um, at the time of Fleming writing, which I think was 1953, um, was a very different recipe than what it is now. Um, it had a lot more botanicals in it. It wasn't as cheap. Um, it wasn't as, you know, it isn't, the front shelf um, gin that you might expect today. And so instead, I have some Plymouth gin, which um, is uh, not only sentimental to me because I've walked past the distillery hundreds, if not thousands of times. There's um, a very good restaurant opposite it, by the way, and they also do tours. Uh, they're not paying me to say that. But yes, this is um, pretty close to home as, as far as it goes. And also it's world-renowned. So you're going to find this pretty much everywhere. I was on holiday in Prague. I went to a, a speakeasy there. They had Plymouth Gin on their shelf. Um, so you should be able to find it. And it's also quite good. Um, I'm not necessarily a gin man, but just to give you an idea of how good it really is, it has um, more botanicals than a lot of London gins, which tend to be drier. Um, and the distillery is the oldest in England. I believe it's been in use since 1793. So there you go. Um, if you care about heritage, well, that's a good start. Um, it's also um, worth mentioning that the British Navy, in particular, um, Admiral Nelson used to swear by it. He um, would give each of his officers a barrel, um, particularly during the Napoleonic um, Wars, as well as the fact that by 1850, the Royal Navy, the Royal British Navy, um, when we owned quite a large empire, um, used to order over a thousand barrels of Plymouth gin a year. So it must be good if it's the gin that fueled the men that built the empire. Um, not that I'm trying to sell it to you, but you know, I'm not sponsored by anything here. In fact, it's cost me a lot of money to make this video, so uh, please help me. Um, so yes, it's a good gin. It's got juniper in, as do all gins. That's one botanical. Um, that's not really notable. It's also got coriander, which gives it a hint of citrus and sourness and, and a little bit of spice. Um, cardamom, which gives it a hint of menthol. And uh, it also has angelica, which gives it a sort of dry finish and an element of sweetness to it. And of course, a little bit of lemon as well. So the vodka doesn't really matter so much. Um, you won't be tasting it 
all that much. As long as you don't get really cheap vodka, I've got some sort of reasonable mid-range vodka. I've not really heard of it before. But the general rule with vodka is the better it is, the less you can taste it. And I think in a drink like this, that can be important, but also you're not putting in enough that it's that stark. So it really depends on your preferences here. Um, but I've gone for the mid-range. It doesn't really matter. You don't need to get really expensive vodka um, unless you're drinking it straight on its own. If you're mixing it in cocktails, that's the sort of joy of a vodka is that it blends in very well without being too intrusive. So you can get away with not necessarily getting the best, which is kind of why I've gone for that. On to the Lille Blanc, which I have here. So obviously this isn't the same, uh, exact same one as listed in Fleming, but this is a tonic wine and it is a French apéritif, meaning an alcoholic drink which you take um, before a meal um, to stimulate the appetite, which is my favorite way of drinking, is before when you're waiting for your food. Always good. It's a shame we don't have that uh, sort of tradition of a traditional spirit to have beforehand because I like that. But um, the Kina Lille um, was discontinued in 1987 um, and that had quinine in, which is also used to treat malaria, but it also made um, it slightly more bitter than this. This is actually much sweeter than the original, which actually works in the context of this cocktail far better because. The one thing that I find in a cocktail that's only booze is that you want as much sweetness to counteract that as possible because if you have bitterness and the alcohol taste, it's not very nice. It's, you really have to have a, quite a refined palate to get used to that sort of thing. So yes, this is 85% uh, Semillon grapes from the Bordeaux region of France and 15% fruit liqueur. So to run through the ingredients for this cocktail, all you need is 45 ml of gin, um, 15 ml of vodka, and 10 ml of this Lille Blanc, and then you garnish it with a lemon twist. So through the magic of editing, I'm going to go get some ice. Now oh, I'm back with some ice and a martini glass. You may notice something about this martini glass as well, in that it's covered in ice. And the trick to this is um, you pour water on the sort of cupped part of the glass and then stick it in the freezer and it keeps the cocktail cooler for a lot longer without very much trouble. So if you've got space in your freezer, you know you're going to be having a few martinis. Um, what you do is you just pour it on the inside and the outside of the glass, keeping the uh, sort of um, stem of it clear so you can hold it. And that way it keeps the cocktail cooler without having to shake it an unnecessary amount of time uh, to cool the liquid because of course you don't have any ice in a, a martini unless it's specifically designed around it. So let's get to adding some of the ingredients, shall we? All right, vodka. So I'm going to have to kind of be eyeballing this a bit because it's measures that my measuring glass does not go up to. Um, if you have one of the smaller ones with the five milliliter, you can do it a lot more precisely than I can, but at least I have the experience to judge it rather than getting it wrong. I hope that's the right amount. I think that was too much, wasn't it? I did 45 ml of vodka rather than gin. I'm off to a bad start. Um, so it is 15 ml of vodka, so that should be about that much. 
Okay, so 45 of gin. I'm just going to do 125 mil and then 120. I think that'll be easier. That's 125 mil. That's about 20. So that's in there. And then 10 mil of this, the Lille Blanc. I'm just going to pour this straight in because there's only a little bit of an amount there. Oh, and spill it a bit. See, that's what I said about the pourers. You've got you to get them right. There we go. I'm going to leave that in there ever so briefly just to show you how to do the lemon twist. So what you need to do is get your knife, get it under the skin. It doesn't necessarily matter if you get a little bit of the rind. So we can cut that off in a bit. So you just cut that off so you have something looking a bit like this, and it already smells great. And all you do is you cut off the curved edges and you turn it into a sort of rectangle, like so. Then slowly and gently cut the rind off, which is a little bit fiddly. I'll try not to block it. There we go, move that out of the way. So just slowly moving the knife over the top. It's very difficult to do this with a microphone in front of your face and with your hands there that you just put your fingers in top and just gently move it across until you get all of the white off. It should be very intuitive. If you've ever cooked anything ever before, you should be able to do this. Yeah, it doesn't need to be perfect. So you're not eating it, are you? Just putting it in your drink for flavor. But generally speaking, I want you to at least know how to do it right. So I'm not teaching you poorly. Yeah, that's good enough. And so this is where the bar spoon comes in. You just put it down here and just wrap it around the bar spoon. It gets a bit of a curve to it. Now, mine's not that long there, but it doesn't really matter. It's, it's um, going to impart its flavor all the same. But if you want to make it look particularly fancy, make it long and thin and very twisty, but it actually doesn't taste as good that way, in my opinion. But anyway, time to shake this up. I shouldn't have left it in there with the water for so long, but it's quite a strong cocktail as is. And uh, I think it probably benefits from a little bit of dilution, if, if I'm being completely honest. You can add a little bit of soda water or a little bit of water. Um, there's no shame in that, to be honest. So you want to be shaking it for about eight to 10 seconds until the whole thing is quite cold. And I should have probably said that before I start shaking and <laughs> probably not a good idea to talk while I'm doing it either. But there we go. You know, I've done it now. Um, I might give it a little bit more of a shake, but I can feel how cold it is. It's sort of steaming up on the outside. It's normally an indication that it's cold enough. Um, we drank and there's a bit of a trick to getting these um, out because they stick together when they get cold and you use the sort of palm of your hand and you strike it like that 
um, quite similar if you've ever done first aid. They tell you to use the, you know, the sort of heel of your hand to strike someone in the back to dislodge food. Same thing with Boston tins. Just go. There you go. Might take a couple of goes, but it's normally not too difficult. So just fine strain it straight in there. And then add your lemon twist. Mine's not very twisty, but it doesn't matter. There we go. A bit of a sorry state, but here it is. And that tastes very strong. It's actually nicer than a lot of the ones I used to make for work, to be fair. Because I made it a bit more to my taste than I normally would. It's, it's certainly drinkable, is, is what I can say about it. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.